So read that stuff really carefully and also understand that contracts are meant to be negotiated. You have power as a creator. Hello, hello, what's up? And welcome back to another episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. If you are a content creator, we're thinking about creating content this year, chances are you want to actually be paid for that content, which there's nothing wrong with that. Despite the people who will make you feel like there is something wrong with it, there isn't. One of the ways that you can monetize your content is through brand deals or brand collaborations. It's an area that I have been a little bit weary of in the past that has given me some grief, but I'm very thankful is a part of my revenue streams. So today I want to kind of pull back the curtain on brand deals to everything that I know, everything that has worked, everything that hasn't worked to hopefully enable some of you to be able to monetize your content as well. First, let's talk about how to get brand deals. I'll say that first you should focus on building your audience. There's not a magic number that I would give you. I wouldn't say build your audience to 100,000 or 10,000 or 50,000. I can't really give you a number. I think it's so subjective based on the industry you're in, based on the, you know, your niche, the type of content you create, what your goal is. Are you looking to make a full-time income from brand deals or are you looking to be more like me where it's just a small chunk of, you know, a big pie? You you know, it totally depends my answer to that. So I would say just focus on building an audience as big as you can build it and not just not actually scratch what I just said, not as big as you can build it as niche as you can build it. I have a pretty small audience, like compared to, you know, some of the gigantic creators out there. I only have less than a hundred thousand on YouTube, um, 20,000 on Instagram and everything else, Twitter, all that is like under 3k. So it's not huge compared to these multi-million subscriber YouTubers and things like that. But what does get me some points there is that my, my audience is very niche. You all for the most part are here for online business content. Now, some of you are social media managers some of you are course creators, some of you are something else entirely. Any brand that comes to me that wants to help online business owners or freelancers is going to find a home on this channel. So build your audience and make sure that you're sticking to, you know, one or two things that you're not talking about, like freelancing one day and then fashion one day. And then, you know, you're trying to get brand sponsors across all these different categories. It's going to muddy the waters and make it a lot harder for you. Next, I will say that there are two ways to get brand sponsors, just like there are two main ways to get clients. It's really the same thing. There's inbound and there is outbound. So most of my brand deals come inbound, meaning that they see a YouTube video of mine, they see an Instagram post of mine and they reach out to me. There's also a lot of like tech involved and algorithms involved that, you know, there are softwares that brands use nowadays to aggregate influencers. They're not really looking at my content, they're looking at my numbers and my categories based on some algorithm, whatever. So that's where a lot of them come for me personally. I have tried to do some outbound stuff and I think we're gonna try a little bit more this year because yeah, I think there's potential there to grow this revenue stream. And there are some brands that I would really like to work with that don't know I exist yet. So there are two different ways. And I also have done outbound when I was a lot smaller, when my audience was a lot smaller, I have had success reaching out to brands, emailing them, giving them a media kit and pitching them to work with me. So let's start with the inbound stuff because this is the easiest. This is a low hanging fruit. This is what I'm gonna tell every creator 
don't say no to opportunities before they've even been presented to you. And what I mean by that is make sure that your email is in your bio on Instagram. Make sure that it is filled out in your YouTube uh, description section. I put my email address both in my like about section on YouTube as well as down in the description box. I add it in there as well. So if anybody watches my videos says, hey, I really wanna work with her, it's available everywhere. Another thing I would recommend putting in your bio, your description, your um, about section on your website, if you're comfortable and if this is the angle you wanna take is your location. Because a lot of influencer managers, a lot of brands will want to invite you to an event or a lot of them also have like geo-targeted campaigns. So let's say I'm just making this up. Let's say, I don't know, Apple wants to do a campaign targeted towards young professionals in Detroit, Philly, and Boston. I don't know why, but those cities, let's just say, well, if they don't know I'm in Detroit, they're not gonna reach out to me, right? I personally don't have my location linked or written anywhere just for privacy reasons. Like I don't personally advertise where I live, but if you are more of a true influencer, you know, you're out and about, you're doing the events, then make sure, especially if you live in a big city like LA or New York, that people know where you live. There are also websites that you can join that will help you kind of get brand deals a little bit more passively. I'm gonna list a bunch of them down below. I need to go through my emails and see which ones I'm even on these days. But off the top of my head, there's Collectively, there's Sway, I think it's called Sway Group. There's Activate, Octoly, they used to be one of my clients. I helped them build that platform. They actually, I don't think do paid brand deals, but they do product deals. So if you wanna get like free beauty products in exchange for review, you can go onto Octoly. There's a bunch of them. So I'm gonna list some down in the description box and in the show notes of this episode if you want to take a look at them. I'm on a bunch of them and so I just get emails when I get matched with something. So again, it's all algorithm based. I think they'll just say, oh, you're a 30 something woman in Detroit. We need, you know, with this many followers, we need creators for this campaign and then they'll send you the brief. Now, what I will say is most of those sites that do pay, they a lot of them pay pretty low. I've found that the, the rates that they offer there are not quite as high as I would get through an inbound, a true inbound deal where a brand itself reaches out because they like my content. And I think that's why I think that piece is missing. They're not seeing the actual end result. They're just seeing numbers. So, you know, it can be a good place to get started, but I would definitely focus on building up your content, building up your audience so that more brands say, I want to work with her or not just, I want somebody who fits, you know, an algorithm or whatever. Okay, now if you wanna do cold emails, what I would start doing, again, this is gonna be just like if you were looking for a client, look for, I like, to, you know, you can use LinkedIn. Let's say that you want to work with Nike, go onto LinkedIn, find the Nike page, go to the people tab, and then type in like affiliate or influencer or marketing managers and try to see press PR. Those are all the types of people that you might want to connect with and or reach out to via email. Worst case scenario, if you can't find an actual person in their email address or their name, you may want to just like look at the bottom of websites, look at the contact sections of websites and look for a press, a media, an affiliate, anything like that tends 
tends to be a good person to reach out to. They tend to be the people who oversee influencer partnerships as well. You also will want to have put together some type of like a pitch deck or a media kit as they call it in the industry. And this is basically your influencer resume. It can just be a one sheeter of some highlights, you know, some, some overall insights about your audience. So I would say, um, you know, I create content for business minded individuals. My audience breakdown, I'll, I'll put a little graph of that, which tends to be like 65% women, the rest men, mostly in their late twenties to early thirties, you know, give some information like that, what countries your audience tends to be in. And then if you have any, maybe content that you're proud of, maybe if there were any brand deals that you've worked on in the past or anything like that. And particularly if you have any insights to report back about those campaigns. So if you did a paid campaign or an affiliate campaign and you were able to say that you got a hundred people to sign up, then put that into your media kit. It just looks really good and they can see what the end result is that you have the potential of getting for them. So put that together and then send that out in your cold email and just say, Hey, I'm reaching out. I really love your brand. I make content. You know, are you working on any partnerships for the year? I would love to create some content with you. If not now would love to be on the books for later, like just make an introduction, keep it really short and sweet and send over that media kit. And then they can let you know if they have any openings. When I've done this in the past, very seldomly did they, were they like, oh yeah, let's do something tomorrow, right? But I have had a lot of cold emails get put in the hopper and they would reach out in six months, three months, that kind of thing. You also will wanna keep in mind seasonality. So the end of the year, you know, Christmas time tends to be a big time for influencer partnerships. So do keep that in mind that, you know, these brands are going to start casting for those in September at the latest. So if you are hoping to do a holiday campaign with a brand, particularly a physical product, because they, they're going to have to ship you the product. They're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to take content of the product, photos of the product, all that. You're going to want to reach out to them by like summertime to think about the end of the year, which sounds really early. I know. Yeah. So same thing for if you're thinking about maybe a Mother's Day campaign with a jewelry brand or a baby company, if you're a mom or something like that, I would start reaching out to them in the next couple of months because they're going to start casting for those soon. You also can think about hiring a manager. This is something that I made a big change over the past year. I always just worked by myself. I did hire a partnerships manager and this is really his job to be doing outbound outreach for me for brands that he thinks would work with my brand and um, also managing some of the inbound stuff. So you can think about hiring a manager, but honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think you would be at that point or I wouldn't recommend it until you get to a point where you're getting a lot of inbound stuff already. That's really why I hired him is because I was just ignoring the emails. I just didn't have the bandwidth to answer any of the inbound emails. And I also knew that, you know, if people were emailing me inbound, there was a chance that we would have some good success with outbound stuff too, and it would actually pay off hiring him. So do keep that in mind. I think, you know, there may be managers that wanna work with you when you have, you know, oh, you have your first 500 followers or whatever. I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying you can make more money with 500 followers doing it yourself than paying 20 or 30% to a manager. And that tends to be the standard rate, anywhere from 15 to 30% I've seen managers take. So if I get paid $5,000 for a campaign, they're gonna get paid between 15 and 30% of that final fee. So do keep that in mind. That's the negative to working with a, a manager, but you know, assuming that they're keeping you busy and that they're keeping you working, 
then they pay for their own role. Okay, red, let's talk about some red flags because this is a question, I've created a couple of videos way back in the day about um, working with brands. And I got a lot of questions about, I'm not sure if this brand is sketchy. How do I know if I should respond to them? How do I know if I should fill out this tax form for them? So let's talk about a couple of those things. What I'll say to that is just Google them, right? If you get an email and it is a, hi, I'm Mary at Laneige.com or whatever, like the skincare company, Google that email address, Google Laneige.com to make sure it is really the, the real email address, right? I've gotten like these fake phishing emails that are like nikeshop.com or things like that, where it's like not the actual Nike, it's they're putting some weird addition onto it. Obviously that's spam. You can also tell just by how they write. I mean, I used to work as an influencer um, marketer. I used to work in this side of things when I worked with Octolee and we were very professional. Like that was very important to me to spell correctly and to just be very professional. And I would say that's true for the industry as a whole. So if you're seeing really wild misspellings and like just strange things, you can probably assume that that person is not real. Also, you know, Google or LinkedIn, the person too. So like if, when I was emailing people for my influencer gig, I, my name was in my signature, you know, look them up on LinkedIn to see if they're a real person. If you can't find any trace of them, maybe stay away because that seems a little sketch. As far as tax forms, it's just like working with a freelance client. So I believe the requirement is over $600. If they pay you over $600, they will need to send you a 1099. So you should be comfortable sending them a 1099 form, you know, if they seem not sketchy and if they pay you higher than that. If um, some brands wanna pay you via direct deposit, this is something that is interesting about the industry is it's very, whereas freelancing is like, hey, what do you want? And you tell them what your process is. Influencer and brand deals are very much what they want. It's very interesting in that way. So some brands do pay via direct deposit. So if they ask for your checking and routing number, again, you gotta feel it out for yourself. You gotta read through contracts. You gotta to make sure that it's it checks out but if you feel comfortable that is not an unheard of situation you might also want to consider getting a p.o box or like a virtual business address if you are getting a lot of brand deals so if you're like a beauty influencer who gets a ton of product samples in the mail you may want to consider a p.o box or something just so you're not giving your physical address out to a ton of people sometimes it can end up in weird hands Again, usually the, the industry is very professional, but you never know. I do have a business address where I get all my packages and stuff in just because I, I don't want people having my physical address. And you can do a peel box or what I do is I just have a co-working space that I pay for and I just use it for mail service. I don't really go in and work there very often. And then they let me know when I have a package and they can either scan the mail for me or I can go pick up an actual package. Now, there are also a lot of red flags when it comes to contracts and this is this is a, a hill that I will die on and this might turn into a little bit of a rant now. I think that influencers, creators get taken advantage of a lot in this industry. I'm just gonna say that full stop. I made a Twitter thread actually recently. I'll link it in the show notes just in case I forget to mention any of the points that I mentioned in there. Uh, listen, I'm not a lawyer, but read your contracts real carefully and, and consider getting a uh, lawyer to read over them too, especially if they're for a lot of money or a long period of time. Some of the red flags that I see in the contracts are exclusivity is a big one. Exclusivity means that you are not able to work with any competitors or similar brands for a certain period of time. So I think it is wit 
totally understandable. And I do this even if it's not in the contract where if I work with, let's just say I'm working with Pepsi that month, I'm not gonna work with Coca-Cola the same month. I'm not gonna do one video for Pepsi and then one video for Coca-Cola. That just makes sense to me. Also, it looks disingenuous to my audience. So why would I do that? However, if Pepsi pays me one time, they pay me $1,500 one time to do an Instagram post for them. I don't personally think it is fair to then say you can't work with Coca-Cola for the next 12 months because at a certain point you're like, is that even worth it? That was $1,500 for an entire year's worth of work. And obviously that one's maybe a little bit more understandable because those are two like direct competitors. But you know, I've had contracts that came in that said I couldn't work with any software for freelancers for six months. And I'm like, that's like a lot of what I talk about, <laughs> you know, I, I, and, and also sometimes exclusivity will extend beyond paid contracts, but they'll say, we don't even want you to talk about it for free. I did the math on a collaboration, a potential collaboration that I turned down recently. And they were saying basically something very similar. It didn't even make sense. The amount that they paid me would have been less than what I would make from affiliate income for, you know, competitors or similar software for for that period of time. So it would have just made more, more sense for me to keep doing my affiliate stuff that no one asked me to do and that I can just do on my own. So read that stuff really carefully and also understand that contracts are meant to be negotiated. You have power as a creator. If you see something like that, that you're like, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going to not work with another um, freelancing brand for a year then tell them, tell them I will not do the, this collaboration and or you need to charge higher for it, which we'll talk about in a second. So um, do, do not just let those things go. Another thing is the word in perpetuity, right? In perpetuity or unlimited use or anything like that. Be very cautious of that as well. Understand how your content is going to be used and who owns that content at the end of the day. So I don't do content that they own, meaning I just make it for them and they can use it however they want. I do that in my in my freelance business, but that's a content creation package, right? That's not, you're putting something up on YouTube and now we own that YouTube video and we can do whatever we want with it. I think there's just a lot of real shady stuff that happens in the influencer industry that doesn't happen to me as an agency owner, which is just very odd and weird to me. So keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. Also amplification. Let me tell you a little story. I'm going to keep it really short here, but I once worked with a mental health brand, mental health brand, and they put in the contract that they could amplify my content, which means that they put a little bit of ad money behind my post. And I was like, oh, I don't see how that would be an issue. In fact, it might even get me a few extra followers. So this seems like cool, whatever. So, you know, we ran an ad and I don't know how they were targeting people, but I was only getting men in my DMs and in the comments. And they were saying really inappropriate things. And actually I got a couple of messages that were really scary. They were very like, threatening, if you can imagine what I mean. So I emailed the brand and I said, hey, like, could you share your targeting layers? Like, what are you, who are you targeting? Cause it seems like it's only like men who are in their fifties and forties, which I, nothing against men in their forties and fifties, but why aren't you targeting women as well? Like, it's kind of weird because I'm a woman and you would think that, I don't know, it just seemed weird. And they wouldn't tell me they're targeting layers and they wouldn't turn off the ad. So it actually got to the point where I had to make my Instagram private for like a week or two because I was getting so many strange DMs. It was actually really scary. And 
they wouldn't turn it off. So I think they eventually did, but I had to email them like three times and email them screenshots of some of the really explicit and um, threatening messages I was getting. I just found it interesting that it was a mental health app, right? But they didn't care much about their creator's mental health. So the reason I'm saying that is if they do plan to amplify your content, I would have a discussion with them about who are they gonna be targeting? What are the rules for if you need to turn it off? I mean, maybe that was a really strange situation, but I've actually seen it. I'm in some influencer marketing groups, you know, on Facebook and stuff, and I've seen that happen. Per particularly for women, I'm not saying it doesn't happen for men, but you know, if a woman has a low cut shirt on, she'll get completely sexually harassed. Um, you know, even if she's just going about her day and that's all I'm gonna say is keep that in mind. I think ads can be a really weird space, especially if you don't normally run them. Lastly, let's talk about what to charge. And like anything, I mean, this is really subjective, but I can give you some places to start. Number one, what I wanna say is for any of those things that I just mentioned, exclusivity, um, ads, usage rights, ownership rights, if they want any of those things, I'll do it, but it comes at a premium. So if somebody wants to limit exclusivity to an entire year, they better be sponsoring at least one or two videos every single month for me. You know, we can do a 12 month contract then, or you better be paying me, you know, as much as I would make from working with other brands to get that exclusivity. Uh, same thing, I've had brands ask me to turn my ads off on my videos, that's an upcharge. I can do that, but you need to make up for what I would make from Google AdSense. Those can be sort of add-ons, so take with that what you will. But for like your base rates, it's gonna be a combination of things. It's going to depend on your follower count. Yes, that is a layer. Actually, even more than follower count, I would say it would be average views if you're on YouTube or like average engagement or engagement rate if you're on Instagram. That's weighted a lot heavier. As we know, it's really easy to buy followers. It's really easy for followers to just not engage with you. So I would take a look at your average view rate or average engagement rate. The higher that is, obviously the better, right? So that's gonna put you at a premium. Niche, what is your niche? So I work in the business space. And when I compare my rates with some people in other industries, I'm like, wow, I, I charge just as much as somebody who has 500,000 subscribers if they're in a different category. I think my reasoning, I think why I can get away with that is because being in the business space, I think my audience tends to be a little bit older, meaning that they have a little bit more disposable income usually than like a, a Gen Z, a very young Gen Z, you know, your average like high school or college student. I also think, you know, somebody who's looking for business content, they're gonna be willing to spend money on a software or a tool that's really gonna help them. Whereas if you're just watching for entertainment value, I put my, you know, I think about how I watch YouTube as a consumer. If I'm just looking to be entertained, I don't wanna pull out my wallet. But if I'm like, I need to solve this problem in my business, I'm happy to pay. So keep that in mind as well, like your niche. Um, if you're a travel influencer, I would assume you can probably charge more than if you do like comedy videos and things like that. And then also, this is one that I'm gonna urge you to consider, and I don't think enough people do, is content format and complexity. This is like something that, again, I think brands take a lot of advantage of people, um, of creators, in that they're like, oh, well, you only have 25,000 subscribers, so we're only gonna pay you $300. But what they're not thinking about is that it still takes you the same amount of hours to put together a really nice video or to put together a TikTok or whatever it is that you're doing. If they were to go to an agent Agency. And I know this because I've literally worked on both sides. I create content for people in the agency and then I create content for my channel for brands as 
an influencer or creator. It takes the same amount of time. A lot of times it takes more as an influencer because I'm then having to do like all the metadata and do all this stuff and do research and promote the content. So you should still be charging for the work itself. Like you should have a base fee saying, I will not make a video for less than $500. And then from there, we that's the base price, right? Then we can go up depending on niche, depending on, you know, how many followers or views I predict I'm going to get on this video, depending on usage rights. That's how I look at it. Some brands will not like that. I have had a lot of brands be very nasty to me and be like, you only have 90,000 subscribers. How dare you think you can charge this rate? And I'm like, cool. Like my clients and my agency pay me 10 times what you are proposing to me. So I will just keep doing videos for them then buy. Um, so people won't like that, but I think we really need to, as creators, we really need to start charging what we're worth and you deserve to be paid for those hours. If nothing else, you spent hours creating something. And the thing particularly about a platform like YouTube is it has really long shelf life. Some of my sponsored videos didn't hit when they first released, but like I look at them now and they have tens of thousands of views, right? So you can't just judge based on what a creator has now. You have to also keep in mind that their channel is going to grow and that time, you know, goes into this stuff and helps those things rank in the search engines. So please keep those things in mind. If you want to look for a place to start, Social Blue Book is a place to start. Keep in mind that should be your base price, what they give to you. And then you can add on those different layers based on those other things that I mentioned, but it is a starting point if you have like no idea what to charge. Okay, so that's everything I know about brand deals, or at least the most of it. I hope this was helpful. If it was and you're on YouTube, leave me a comment, like the video, and subscribe to the channel if you're listening on the podcasting platforms. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we are on Google, and pretty much everywhere else that you can find your podcast. Be sure to rate and review the show. That's something that's newer for Spotify, so go ahead and do that if you don't mind. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this was helpful and I hope I see you in my next video or podcast. I post on YouTube on Mondays and Fridays and I post a new podcast every Friday. I'll see you then. Bye.